Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to Episode 9 of my Train Your Mind for Athletic Success podcast. Continuing our exploration of the obstacles that can prevent you from achieving your sports goals, today's topic is perfectionism. Perfectionism is one of the most frequent obstacles I see in athletes. Perfectionism is a triple-edged sword, if there is such a thing. One edge of the sword drives perfectionists to be, well, perfect. So they often do reach a high level of success. These athletes push themselves maniacally to be the best, and often are as well straight-A students and save the world on weekends. The second edge of the sword is that striving for perfection is ultimately self-defeating, because, as I'll soon discuss, it interferes with you pursuing your goals with commitment, confidence, and courage. And the final edge of the sword, far less desirable, is that I've never met a happy perfectionist. Gosh, how can they be happy if they're never perfect? From the artist and writer Julia Cameron, Perfection is not a quest for the best. It is the pursuit of the worst in ourselves, the part that tells us that nothing we do will ever be good enough. So, what is perfectionism? Perfectionism involves setting impossibly high standards for yourself and striving for goals that you will never, ever achieve. Because as human beings, we can't be perfect. Yet, you believe that anything less than perfection is simply unacceptable. And when you fail to meet those hopelessly high standards, you berate yourself unmercifully for not being perfect. Perfectionists are never satisfied with their efforts, no matter how objectively well they perform. And they punish themselves for not achieving perfection. For example, after I spoke to a group of elite young athletes recently, a girl from the audience described to me how she had won a gymnastics event at a national meet, but was beating herself up for making two mistakes and not getting the score she wanted. At the heart of perfectionism lies a threat. If you aren't perfect, bad things will happen to you. Most commonly, people will think you're a failure. This threat arises because perfectionistic athletes connect whether they're perfect with their self-esteem. Being perfect dictates whether they see themselves as successful people worthy of love and respect. The price these athletes believe they will pay if they're not perfect is immense, and its toll can be truly destructive. Depression, anxiety, eating disorders, substance abuse, and suicide. By the way, you don't have to be a perfectionist in every part of your life to be considered a perfectionist. You only have to be perfect in areas that you care about. For example, there are perfectionists in sports who don't care about their schoolwork and have messy rooms. Popular culture plays a really big role in the development of perfectionism. We live in a culture that reveres perfection. Our culture has elevated success to absurd heights where being good is no longer good enough. Athletes must now aim for being a professional athlete or an Olympian, otherwise their efforts will have been in vain. Additionally, our athletic culture also worships at the altar of physical perfection. Athletes are bombarded by images of perfect athletes with perfect bodies and perfect performances who seem to never fail. And perfectionism is highly connected with fear of failure. Though it appears that perfectionistic athletes are driven to succeed, their singular motivation in life is actually to avoid failure because they connect failure with feelings of worthlessness and loss of love. As I'll talk about in a later podcast, perfectionistic athletes view failure as a voracious beast that stalks them every moment of every day. If these athletes stop for even a moment's rest, they believe they will be devoured by failure, and that is simply unacceptable. Perfectionists suffer in one of two ways. First, perfectionists often do achieve some degree of success, as I said earlier, because they push themselves to be perfect. But because they also suffer from a profound fear of failure, they often don't fully realize their ability and achieve true success because they're unwilling to take the risks that are necessary to be successful. 
Second, admittedly, some perfectionistic athletes do attain great success, but the price they pay in unhappiness is significant. From an unknown source, I'm learning that perfection isn't what matters. In fact, it's the very thing that can destroy you if you let it. Perfectionism also has an unhealthy relationship with emotions. You might think that perfectionistic athletes experience excitement and elation when they achieve their high standards, but those emotions are far too normal and healthy for them. Like the emotional reactions in response to all of the obstacles I'm discussing in my podcast, the strongest emotion perfectionistic athletes can often muster is relief. And where does that relief come from? They dodge another bullet of not being perfect, and they can still feel okay about themselves. But not for long, because they're sure to be faced with another perfectionist moment in the very near future. Recently, I asked a group of young athletes how long they thought the relief lasts, and a girl threw up her hand and declared, till the next race. What emotion would perfectionistic athletes who inevitably fail to meet their impossibly high standards experience? Well, you might think disappointment, but disappointment is a very normal and healthy emotion that all athletes will feel when they fail. The reaction of which is to increase motivation and effort so they'll reduce the chances that they'll feel disappointment in the future. Disappointment is far too healthy and useful an emotion for perfectionists to feel when they fail. Perfectionistic athletes experience devastation after perceived failure because they perceive it as a personal attack on who they are. Well, they're successful athletes, right? And their value as people because their athletic identity is such a large part of their self-identity. I say perceived failure because objectively, they may have had a truly successful performance. For example, making the top 10 or landing on the podium. But what most people would perceive as success is often viewed as a failure by perfectionistic athletes because their standards of success are so high as to be nearly unattainable. The experience of devastation for perfectionistic athletes following a perceived failure comes with a veritable tsunami of negative emotions, including hurt, frustration, anger, sadness, humiliation, and shame. Unlike disappointment, which motivates typical athletes, Devastation, with its accompanying emotional pain, has the temporary effect of sapping perfectionistic athletes' motivation and confidence. But even this energy-sucking effect doesn't last long because their need to be perfect kicks back in and they're back on the treadmill of striving for goals they will never, ever achieve. From the author Elizabeth Gilbert, Perfectionism is just a high-end, hot couture version of fear. Just fear and fancy shoes and a mink coat, pretending to be elegant when actually it's just terrifying. A question I'm often asked is, so where does perfectionism come from? Well, after almost every parent talk I've given, a parent says to me, I swear my child was born a perfectionist. This view may make parents feel better for not being the cause of their young athlete's perfectionism, but the reality is that there's absolutely no scientific evidence that perfectionism is inborn. The research indicates that children learn their perfectionism from their parents, most often, but not always, their same-sex parent. Through parents' words, emotions, and actions, children connect being loved and valued with being perfect. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't any inborn influences. Some genetic attributes, such as temperament, may make some children more susceptible to perfectionism. For example, someone who is born emotionally sensitive may be more vulnerable to the subtle cues of perfectionism that their parents, coaches, peers, and culture may communicate to them. Parents pass on perfectionism to their children in three ways. Some perfectionistic parents raise their children to be perfectionists by actively praising and rewarding success and punishing failure. 
These parents offer or, or withdraw their love based on whether their children meet their own perfectionistic expectations. When children succeed, the parents lavish them with love, attention, and gifts. But when they fail, their parents either withdraw their love and become cold and distant, or express strong anger and resentment toward their children. In both cases, these children get the message that if they want their parents' love, they must be perfect. Thankfully, in all my years of working with young athletes, I've only come across a few parents who were this overtly perfectionistic. More likely, other parents unintentionally role model perfectionism for their children. Examples of how perfectionism is communicated by these parents include having to look, quote-unquote, just perfect, having great career success, their competitiveness in sports and games, and how they respond when things don't go their way. Children see how their parents treat themselves, not well, when they're not perfect, so they feel they must be perfect so their parents won't treat them the same way. These parents unwittingly communicate to their children that, that anything less than perfection won't be tolerated in the family. The final type of parents that convey perfectionism to their children are not perfectionists at all. In fact, they are the antithesis of being perfect, but by gosh, they're going to make darn sure their children are perfect. These parents project their flaws onto their children and try to fix those flaws in their children by giving love when their children are perfect and withdrawing love when they're not. Unfortunately, instead of creating perfect children and absolving themselves of their own perfections, they pass them on to their children and stay flawed themselves. From Ariane Huffington, the founder of HuffingtonPost.com, the fastest way to break the cycle of perfectionism and become a fearless mother is to give up the idea of doing it perfectly. Indeed, to embrace uncertainty and imperfection. So now let me share with you my antidote to perfection. I believe you should remove the word perfection from your vocabulary. It serves no purpose other than to make you miserable. You should replace perfection with excellence. I define excellence as doing well most of the time. Excellence takes all the good aspects of perfection, such as achievement, high standards, and dislike of failure. Excellence still sets the bar really high. It's not average, above average, or even very good. It's excellent. At the same time, Excellence leaves out the unhealthy parts of perfectionism. For example, connecting achievement with self-esteem, setting absurdly high standards, having unrealistic expectations, and being afraid of taking risks and failing. And importantly, it never connects failure with your ability as an athlete or your value as a person. Excellence actually encourages you to fail, not repeatedly on the same thing due to a lack of effort, of course, because it understands that without some failure, you won't develop as an athlete and true success won't be possible. In embracing the freedom of excellence, rather than the heavy burden of perfectionism, you can turn your gaze away from failure and all its associated baggage and toward success and pursue it with unfettered determination and gusto. An unknown quote, striving for excellence feels wonderful because you're trying your very best. Perfectionism feels terrible because your work is somehow never quite good enough. Here's a tip that can help you let go of perfectionism. Let go of control. Perfectionists are known for having a high need for control. Think control freak here. Control provides them with, well, control over everything that influences their efforts at achieving perfection. The more they control, the less chance they'll be in perfect or experience failure. It creates feelings of familiarity, predictability, and certainty, which helps to reduce the anxiety and discomfort they feel with the relentless pursuit of their unattainable goals. At the same time, there's much in your athletic life that you can't control. Weather conditions other people, and obsessing over not having that control is unhealthy and dysfunctional. It interferes with your ability to perform your best. 
It causes you to lose motivation and confidence because you don't believe you can be successful if everything isn't under your complete control. It causes stress and tension that prevents your body from performing its best. And it leads you to get distracted by things that you can't do anything about. Perfectionists often attempt to reestablish the perception of control and compensate for the discomfort of not being in control by latching onto superstitions and rituals that have no real impact on performance. Though comforting, these superstitions and rituals take time and energy away from their focusing those aspects of preparation that actually improve performance. Letting go is so important because to perform your best, you must let go of control in two ways. First, you have to let go of everything in your competitive life that you have no control over. Second, you need to give up conscious control and trust your mind and your body to do what you've trained them to do. Most sports require spontaneous and reflexive execution to be successful. There simply isn't time to think through performance. Also, trying to maintain control over performance results in overthinking, loss of flow, and a decline in natural coordination and timing. Now, I'm not saying that you should let go of all control in your athletic life. In fact, some control is healthy and functional to your sports efforts. It increases confidence and ensures that you're as prepared as you can be by enabling you to take control of important areas that impact your performances. Appropriate control also enables you to feel relaxed and comfortable, particularly in high-pressure situations, such as a big game or during critical points in a competition. You have three goals for healthy control of your sports performance. First, control those things that will best prepare you to perform your best. Second, accept and get comfortable with those aspects of a competition over which you have no control. Third, let go of conscious control when you're performing and allow your body to do what you've trained it to do. This last notion of accepting what you can't control is particularly important in your efforts to perform your best and achieve your athletic goals. Attempting to control the uncontrollable is an obviously fruitless task. It distracts you from what you can control to perform your best. It creates a plethora of negative emotions, including annoyance, frustration, and anger. It causes anxiety and physical tension that not only feels bad, but also interferes with performance. Accepting that which you can't control isn't about weakness or surrendering or giving in. In fact, in an uncertain way, it's a sign of strength in which you gain control when you let go of control. When you try to control the uncontrollable, you allow those uncontrollables to control you. Those uncontrollables take control of your mind and body, your thoughts, emotions, and actions. Not only do you fail in your attempt at control, but in doing so, you lose control over the one thing that you must ultimately maintain control over, namely yourself. When you let go of control of what you can't control, you're better able to control yourself. You're more confident and motivated. You're calm and relaxed rather than stressed, anxious, and frustrated. You're able to focus on what you need to do to perform your best. The end result of letting go is true control of your performances, not feeling the need to be perfectionistic, in which you're mentally and physically prepared to perform your best. From the psychologist Carlos Belfoldi, the irony is that often those that feel the most need for control are themselves the ones being controlled by their own fears, insecurities, and doubts. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to Episode 9 of Train Your Mind for Athletic Success. Be on the lookout for Episode 10 in the near future.